0: All right, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And this is a portion of Scripture that if you've been saved any length of time, you're likely familiar with. And uh, I, I call it, especially verse 9, I, I, I call it God's bar of soap, a way of a Christian getting cleaned up. But it's, it's way, way more than that. Uh, There is so much to this business of spiritual warfare, and it was alluded to in Sunday school this morning. But I'm going to talk to you this morning about something that I believe, without fear of contradiction, you couldn't find something more important to your peace, happiness, and well-being than the subject we're going to talk about today. I I guarantee you, it matters not how much money you do or don't have or what your other circumstances are, physical or otherwise. This will determine most of your happiness and peace of mind. And it's this. It's the battlefield of the conscience. The battlefield of the conscience. How many of you understand this morning that if you have a bad conscience about something or you feel guilty about something that can ruin whatever you're doing it can mess up your whole day doesn't matter who you're with your favorite people doing your favorite doesn't matter if your conscience is bothering you that messes things up that that knocks you off the peace pedestal if you will and 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 the devil knows that and i think spiritual warfare over the conscience is an underappreciated thing among Christians. And I'm going to give you the title of the sermon because uh, it's going to sound initially just like something, you know, just kind of psychological and a warm fuzzy, but it's anything but that. I want to ask you the question this morning, have you forgiven yourself? Now, there's way more to it than that sounds, that sounds like some little psychological three-step method where, you know, you learn to say this and think that and do that and then, bing, you know, the light goes on and everything's great and uh, the flowers are blooming and the birds are singing in your head. It's not like that. It's not like that at all. The, the battle for your conscience is one that rages between God and the devil. Uh, one of the devil's titles, Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 is the accuser of the brethren. Now the minute you hear that word, you can't escape the idea of the conscience. Guilt or not. And acquittal or conviction and things of that nature. And you realize that even right now, even right now, and when you leave this building this morning and go about your business today, your mind is having court court is in session I call it the interior verdict and and it's turning in verdicts all day continually sometimes it's small things Uh, brother Titus was talking about um, he didn't use this phrase but road rage Christian road rage You know, and, 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 you know, somebody cuts you off or you get stuck in traffic and you're already in a hurry and you, oh, and you get all, uh, you get all man upset. And then you go, oh, I I shouldn't have done that. What was that? That was a verdict. Court was in session and that was a verdict. And this goes on all the time. This goes on all the time. I mean, I believe it goes on while we're sleeping and, and dreams and everything, but I digress. I don't want to start... Drifting off into that rabbit trail. But we're going to talk about something very important. And, and that is the, 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 the battlefield uh, over the conscience. And so we're going to go to 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 5. We're going to get the context of this. And in verse 5 he says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us. And boy, I like that next little three-letter word, all sin. I like that word all. And uh, verse eight, if we say that we have no sin, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, there's that word again, unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Help us now in these moments that we have. Lord, I, I believe this is such an important subject. This is a, a, a very practical doctrine, but it's a very important doctrine. And in and, and our peace, our peace can hinge on an understanding of your forgiveness, uh, what the qualifiers are, and the assurance of it. And, and so, Father, I pray that you'd lead and guide. I, I know there's more here. then then I can give out the allotted time this morning and we'll probably have to revisit this next week. And so, uh, Father, show me where the quitting place is and the picking up again next week. But, uh, Father, more than anything else, open our hearts and minds to your word and help us to realize, Lord, we are reading the living word of the living God and it is infallible. And, Lord, may we cling to those promises with that faith and understanding of the matters we're about to tackle this morning, for it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Have you ever gone to the Lord as a believer, knowing you needed to confess some sins to Him, and you're you're claiming this particular verse, verse 9, take a look at it for me, for me if you would for a second. If we confess our sins, now that's the first thing, we need to do it, okay, we need to do it. And we need to be sensitive about these things. And that's one thing. You know, the Bible says God, uh, God said David was a man after God's own heart. I believe that was one of the things about David that made him a man after God's own heart. I believe he had a hair-trigger repentance mechanism. Uh, I've often said David didn't have a lot of faults, but he made the most of the ones he had. <laughs> and he sure made some messes. You know, Bathsheba and Uriah the Hittite and the numbering of the children of Israel... But, but he was quick to repent. He was quick to repent. And you read Psalm 51. That's a beautiful prayer of repentance over some terrible sin. And, and God honored uh, that prayer. So if we confess our sins, he, that's where our focus needs to be this morning, by the way, in confession, is him. Is him. Confess your sins, but get your eyes off of you and get your eyes on the crucified Christ. Arise, my soul, arise. Five bleeding wounds he bears. Received on Calvary, they pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. Folks, we need to understand that Christ is our substitute. And he's no less our substitute In 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 our daily walk with God and our our daily cleansing of disobedience and breaking fellowship with the Lord, He's no less our 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 intercessor, our mediator than He is even in just the initial act of salvation and becoming a born-again Christian. How important is it? And you confess those sins. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He is faithful and just. He's faithful, but he's not doing it. Just by glossing your sins, he's just in forgiving our sins because of those five bleeding wounds, folks. He can be just, Paul said in the book of Romans, and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. There is a sound, biblical, eternal, godly basis for him forgiving us. It's not just, well, I'll forgive you because we're family. I'll forgive you because we're friends. I'll forgive you because you're a friend to my friend. I'll forgive you because whatever. Hey, God forgives on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ, the substitutionary death, bearer, and resurrection for us on Calvary. Folks, that's why the cross isn't place we go to to get saved and then leave it. Folks, it's the place we stay for our entire life. Until God takes us home to be with him in heaven. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. I am crucified. I, I was. He doesn't say, I was crucified with Christ. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The substitutionary life. Christ gives me his righteousness, and he takes my sins. That is the exchanged life. You're, you have a new identity as a believer. Please, whatever you do, if you were an alcoholic before you got saved, don't say, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. Say, I was an alcoholic, but now I'm a Christian. Yeah. Don't say, I, I, I was a drug addict, or, or, or I am a drug addict and, and a Christian. No, you were a drug addict, but now you're a believer in Christ, and you're a new creature in Christ. Those things are passed away. Understand your identity in Jesus Christ. How important is that? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I don't know about you, but there's where I have the problem at the end of it. At the end of it. I will acknowledge, mind and even in heart, that when I sin against the Lord, I can come to him with those sins And in a judicial sense, I understand that God has held court and he's acquitted me because of Christ. And so those things are taken care of and my fellowship is restored. The problem I have is with that last part. Take a look at verse 9 again. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Someone once said, and aptly so, that sin never leaves you the way it found you. And as a believer, as a believer, uh, we don't really want to sin. We don't really want to sin. I was talking to someone one time and I've shared this with you before and we were talking about eternal security and this guy didn't believe it. And so, he was, so finally he got exasperated and he said, okay, so you're saying I can just get saved and sin all I want to. And he thought he had me. And I said, absolutely not. I said, you can sin more than you want to. And he looked at me like, oh, I got him now. Because I said, if you're really saved, you don't want to sin at all. Getting saved won't make you sinless until you get to heaven, but it'll sure complicate your sin life. <laughs> and, and, and folks, that's the part I have the problem with. I'll walk around to Michael, how could you do that again? How many times have you confessed confess that? Just the other day, I said to the Lord, okay, Lord, um, And this is probably for me more than it is for him. I mean, he knows everything. I said, but Lord, you said 70 times 7. That's 490. I'm sure I've exceeded that. (laughs) You ever been there? I mean, I've been saved. Look, I'm going to be saved 50 years next month. It was August of 1973 I got saved. 50 years next month. I guarantee you I got some sins since I've been a Christian. They've exceeded that 70 times 7. And I was rationalizing with the Lord, and I said, Lord, and I really didn't need to do any of this, but I was doing it because I was having a hard time with that last part. And I was saying, Lord, okay, if you want me to forgive 70 times 7, then you're way better than me. And I'm sure it's at least exponentially more, right? <laughs> what, was I, what was I dealing with? I was dealing with that last part. And to cleanse us of all unrighteousness that's the part we're talking about this morning have you forgiven yourself god's word says that when you come to him in repentance with sin he restores fellowship with you he 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 forgives you and he cleanses you of all unrighteousness but then the remaining question is have you forgiven yourself and you want to know something I think the first thing the devil wants when we sin is he doesn't want us to come to God and get forgiveness. He wants us to do like Peter and say, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Peter, because you're a sinful man, you need Jesus. But that's the natural, natural reaction, like Adam in the garden. Adam in the garden. God's going around looking for Adam. Where art thou, Adam? Where art thou? And it's not that God couldn't have found him. He wanted Adam to come out willingly to him. Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid. And, of course, you know the dialogue. And the Lord says, well, why were you afraid? Did, you know, and, and it, was, it was that guilt. It was that guilt. And that's what we oftentimes struggle with. Now, look, the devil would like us to just walk around dirty. But the second best thing is after we confess our sins, and God does clean us, he wants us to walk around feeling guilty when God isn't asking you to feel guilty. Look, don't misunderstand. There is the Holy Spirit being grieved and Him dealing with us and our, our conscience being rightly burdened when we're not right with God. But listen, when God says He's forgiven you, then guess what? That's the end of the matter. That's the end of the matter. And so this battlefield of the conscience is is, is so important. Um I'm going to reference a book. I mentioned in Sunday school. If you've been saved at least five years, I'd recommend this book. It's a little deep in this area of spiritual warfare, and there's some leaven in it. And by the way, you're going to find leaven in any book unless it's the book, okay? So what I say to you in reading reading books about the Bible and commentaries and subjects of this nature, eat the chicken and just don't chew on the bones and throw the bones out, Amen. But um, this book was written in the wake of the Welsh revival in 1904 and 1905. This revival in Wales was very unique for a number of reasons, not the least of which is it was a singing revival. There really wasn't a lot of preaching. And, and, the, and, the, and the churches would be open all day and all night, and people would come every night to the service, oftentimes hours early, and they would gather and just spontaneously start singing. And, and God would just start moving, and, and, and a lot of times the pastors would, would just be passive in the whole thing and just, just kind of let it happen and, and moderate when it was necessary. And it was a very unique revival. But remember something, and I've preached this message before. I'm probably due to preach it again. The devil is a mime. The Bible says he appears as an angel of light. He's not an angel of light, but he will appear as one. And one of the tools he uses to stop the work of God is imitation. And he uses imitation to confuse. And that's what he did. And in the wake of this revival, he sent a counterfeit satanic revival to try to stop this revival. Now, there's too much involved for me to try to explain the whole thing. Uh, There's books written on the revival itself. And then there's this book that came of it called War on the Saints. And Jesse Penn Lewis wrote this. Uh, with the help of a pastor, and what was his name again? Evan, oh, it's Evan Roberts, Evan Roberts. And I want to just quote a couple things here. Nothing real lengthy, but just a couple of things. Uh, One of the things that's said early on in the book, and this is important, is that goodness is no guarantee of protection from deception. Do you ever stop and think about how many times Jesus said, be not deceived? Uh, we were study- we've were been studying Matthew chapter 24. He says it over and over and over again. Why? Because we can be deceived. And folks, I'm, I'm talking to the good guys this morning, okay? Like Brother Russ will send me a text every once in a while. And he'll say, remember, you're one of the good guys. Why does he do that? Well, because he knows There's a little guy sitting on my shoulder sometimes that's whispering in my ear, hey, you're the bad guy, you're the bad guy. Does he ever do that to you? (laughs) Yeah. And and, and you know what? Just because my motivations are good and, and just because I'm trying to be good doesn't mean that I can't be deceived. Goes on to say the keenest way in which the devil deceives the world and the church is when he comes in the guise of somebody or something which apparently causes them to go Godward and goodward. He said to Eve, Ye shall be as gods, but he did not say, And ye shall be like demons. Angels and men only knew evil when they fell into a state of evil. <coughs> Satan did not tell Eve this when he added, Knowing good and evil. His true objective in deceiving Eve was to get her to disobey God, but his wile was this. Ye shall be like God. Had she reasoned, she would have seen that the deceiver's suggestion exposed itself, for it crudely resolved itself into, you ready? Disobey God to be more like God. Disobey God to be more like God. I heard a preacher preach one time on on Genesis 3, he called it Satan's masterpiece. Uh, By the way, we have whole movements of Christianity that are essentially espousing this philosophy. Disobey God in liberty <laughs> to be more like God. War is the key word of the book of Revelation. War on a scale undreamed of by mortal man. War by vast <coughs> between vast angelic powers of light and darkness. War by the dragon and the deceived world powers upon the saints War by the same world powers against the Lamb. War by the dragon upon the church. War in many places and forms until the end when the Lamb overcomes, and they also overcome who are with him, called and chosen and faithful. Man is deceived if he is a hearer but not a doer of the word. Man is deceived if he says he has no sin. He is deceived when he thinks himself to be something when he is nothing. He is deceived when he thinks himself to be wise with the wisdom of this world. He is deceived by seeming to be religious when an unbridled tongue reveals his true condition. He is deceived if he thinks he can sow and not reap what he sows. He is deceived if he thinks the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God. He is deceived if he thinks that contact with sin will not affect him at all and the list goes on and on and on and on deceived how the world how that word repels us and how involuntarily every human seems to resent it as applied to himself not realizing that the very repulsion is the work of the deceiver for the purpose of keeping the deceived ones from knowing the truth and being set free from deception goes on to talk about Ephesians chapter 6 and the whole armor of God and spiritual warfare and says this from this passage we learn that in the plane of the believers highest experience of union with the Lord and in the high places of the spiritual maturity of the church will the keenest and closest battle be fought with the deceiver and his hosts speaking of demon spirits to deceive us Goes on to say they act with determination, persistency, and with skillful methods, forcing themselves upon mankind, upon the church, and still more upon the spiritual man. Then lastly, there is a fundamental principle involved in the freeing power of truth from the deceptions of the devil. Deliverance from believing lies must be by believing truth. Nothing can remove a lie but truth. Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It is applicable to every aspect of truth, as well as the special truth referred to by the Lord when he spoke these words. In short, what's being said, among many other things. Don't expect, because you're saved, that now the devil's going to leave you alone. Don't expect, because you're saved, all of your problems are over. And by the way, a lot of your problems are. I I believe this. A lot of my self-inflicted problems were taken care of at Calvary. I, I was working against myself in so many different ways. And I was playing into the hands of the devil and his emissaries. But now, instead of being taken captive by him and being a client, if you will... I am now on the other side. I oppose him, and and as somebody that has the spirit of God living inside of me, and the Word of God along with the power of the gospel, I am now a threat and an adversary to the devil. And so this this area of spiritual warfare is is very, very, very real. So back back to back to First uh, um, 1 John one nine, and so. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then I walk away saying, but I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel forgiven. Now, the first clue that we should have on that one is we're we're using the wrong word. Okay? Nothing wrong with feelings. But how many of you understand feelings aren't real reliable? Okay? They're not really reliable. Uh, just anybody, ask anybody who's bipolar or manic depressive if, if feelings are unreliable. And, and, and they are. And feelings can be good, but we have to start with fact. We start with fact. and then from fact, we move to faith. And then feelings come last. At best, the feelings are the caboose, but not the engine. Uh, keep your hand here and turn to First John chapter three, just a couple pages. 1 John chapter 3. And, and remember, I, I said earlier, sin is never going to leave you like it found you. So you, you're better off, how many of us understand we're better off not sinning? Okay? And that's really, that's really what God wants out of us. All right? But but he's also made provision because he knows us. And, and thus we have this portion of scripture in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. But um, notice, notice verse 1. Here's somebody, here's somebody that's walking with the Lord, and, 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 they're, and they're not sinning, or at least they're not sinning much, I would assume. Look at verse 21. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we what? Confidence toward God. Confidence toward God. Uh, you could always tell that when, when your children are young. If you've raised any children... Uh, you, you, you come up to them, and, and, and you know when the most dangerous time with kids around the house is when it gets really quiet. That's when you got to wor- worry. Now, when there's pots banging and things crashing and then there's chatter, you know everything's okay. But when it gets quiet and you walk in the room, and you know, sometimes they'll, they'll be like this, you know, you know, doing a really great job of hiding whatever it is that's in their hands. <laughs> Or the classic, you know, the kid falling down off the counter and the lid of the cookie jar flying off and splattering on the floor and, and, and chocolate chip cookies all over his face and chocolate chip cookies in his hands and he's standing with his hands behind his back and his, and his mom says, have you been in the cookies? No, no, I haven't been in the cookies. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Dead giveaway, huh? Fact, faith, feeling. We can't turn it around and go the other direction. We can't go feeling, faith, fact. We've got to start with the facts, and then faith, and then feeling. But what if we don't find ourselves in verse 21? What if we find ourselves in verse 20? Back up for one verse, would you please? Look at verse 20. He says, for if our heart condemn us, if our heart condemns us, it could condemn us because we did sin. But maybe our heart condemns us because we've been listening to the accuser. Hey, look, if he can't get you to be guilty, he'll settle for, for making you feel guilty. Because how many people really want to pray when they feel guilty? How many people really want to witness for the Lord when they feel guilty? How many, how many people want to share Christian fellowship when they feel guilty? That's why uh, a lot of times when people drop out of church, they'll usually say, Oh, well, you know, somebody didn't shake my hands, or one of them deacons is a hypocrite, you know, and... And, man, that pastor, you know, he preached a message last Sunday, and I heard that message 20 years ago, and he has no right to preach it again. And, you know, really important stuff, (laughs) really important stuff. Rather than saying, I haven't been living right, and my conscience is killing me, and the last place I want to be is around other Christians who might be living right and hear the preaching of the Word of God about getting right when I don't want to get right. So the easiest thing to do is just stay away from all that. Now, look at verse 21 again. Look at verse 21. Maybe you're here this morning, and, and your heart condemns you, and you've, you've already confessed the sin, or your heart condemns you just because you, you, you haven't discerned the accuser, and you're mistaking those thoughts for your thoughts. Ephesians chapter 6 Of fiery darts. Paul tells us to put on all that armor to quench those fiery darts. What do you think those fiery darts are? They're thoughts. They're thoughts, folks. They're not literal darts on fire where, you know, we come home and our clothes are burned. We know that. They're those thoughts. And maybe we haven't discerned those thoughts. And enough of those darts have found the mark. And now we're walking around feeling guilty. Well, like I said, the devil will take that He'll take that because he's rendered us pretty much on the sidelines for a while, huh? We're on injured reserve. We're not going to get in the game anytime soon. All right, look at this now. See, God's covered that base. He's covered that base. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our what? Heart. People put too much emphasis on their, I was just following my heart. Oh, isn't that person wonderful? She's following her heart. No, the Bible says she's foolish. She's foolish. Because your heart will lead you astray. And and so my heart condemns me. Okay? Who are you going to listen to? Your heart or God? Now look, don't misunderstand. I want to encourage everybody to live right there at verse 21. But if you don't find yourself in verse 21 this morning and you're in verse 20, look at the rest of the verse. God is greater than our heart and knoweth what? All things. Oh, well, there you go, preacher. He knoweth all things. He he knows what a rotten, dirty, scumbag, lower in a snake's belly, sinner that I am. Sure, he does. But he also knows something else. His son died on the cross for those sins. And when he sees you, he sees his son because of imputed righteousness. And that's something you might have forgot, but he didn't. He didn't, folks. Jesus Christ is your advocate, whether you're consciously aware of it or not. And I encourage you this morning to get consciously aware of it. Let's go back to our text. Let's go back to our text. And so what we need to do is develop discernment in this area in the battlefield of the conscience. And Paul said we are not ignorant of his devices. And so what I want to do this morning and probably next Sunday morning is expose that device and and look at the strategies that God has given us to get the victory over those devices. Let's go back to 1 John chapter 1, and let's start in verse 5, and with the time we have remaining this morning, let's break down a few of these concepts. Verse 5, notice verse 5, God's nature here. God's nature. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is what? Light, and in him is no what? Darkness at all. Very simple. You ever notice how John and his, his, his epistle, uh, 1 John, those five chapters, and then 2nd and 3rd John, very simple yet profound concepts. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Now, listen, God's nature is what causes the problem between us and God regarding sin. That, that's where the problem lies. Uh, keep your hand here and turn to Psalm 94. And and we're going to get a little deep here, but you know what? I I, I believe so much of the apostasy in Christendom today could be avoided through learning some doctrine. Learning some doctrine. And this is Bible doctrine we're learning here this morning. Look at Psalm 94. Psalm 94, and look at verse 20. And I don't know if you've ever read this and wondered about this verse. He says in the molt uh, or, or, or he says in verse 20 he says shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee H- how, how preposterous it's like Paul saying you know is 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 God going to have fellowship with Belial is is, is darkness going to have fellowship with light no it's not going to happen and he says shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee now watch this last phrase which frameth Mischief by a law, which frameth mischief by a law. Guess who in this universe decided what was evil and what was not? It was God. It was God. And so let me take you to a verse, and it'll explain this verse. Go to to Isaiah chapter 45. And and in in Bible school, when you're going for your Bible school degree, you would be studying stuff like this in what's called problem texts. Verses that are hard to be understood unless they're studied out thoroughly. Now remember what we just looked at over there in in, in Psalm 94 where God frames mischief by a law. God frames mischief by a law and and then Isaiah 45 and verse 6 And there's so much in Isaiah, especially from chapters 40 through about 46, 47, where God talks about himself and he he literally comes out and competes against the idols and the false gods because of Israel's repetitive idolatry. And he says in verse 6 that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Look at verse 7. I form the light. You know, men consider themselves great because they do this or do that. How about topping that one? (laughs) That's why you don't worship man, you worship God. I formed formed the light. Why do we have light anywhere? Because God did it. And watch this one. Create darkness. I make peace. And create what? Create evil create evil what does he mean by that go back to go back to psalm 94 go back to psalm 94 and take a look at it psalm 94 and look at verse 20 again shall the throne of iniquity have fellowship with thee which frameth mischief by a law what you have in psalm 94 is a definition of what you just read in isaiah 45 the first time sin reared its ugly face anywhere in the universe was when Lucifer rebelled against God. And, and, and the, driving, the driving force behind that was pride. I will be like the Most High. I will ascend above the heights of God. I, w- I will do all the five of these I wills. And then God said right there, nobody in the universe had ever seen that, angels or otherwise. And God defined it. He framed mischief by a law, and he says, that's evil. He defined evil. And from then on, that pride and rebellion and ultimately that sin has been defined as evil by God himself. He gets to make the rules. He gets to make the rules. Now back to 1 John chapter 1. Back to 1 John chapter 1. And, and, and herein is the problem where sinful man trying to have fellowship uh, with the holy God. Verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, now here's, here's the good news. The bad news is this is what caused all our problems concerning sin. Is, is this the fact that God has framed these things as wrong, and he'll never unframe them otherwise. And so now we have this, this difficulty of having, having fellowship with him because we're sinful. Now, of course, we've talked about God's provision in Christ, and we'll talk more about that again. But, but remember something. Remember something. Verse 5. As we look at verse 5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So we know that light always dispels darkness. When a room is dark, we don't go in here and fan it and try to fan the darkness out. In fact, did you ever stop and think about it? Before these lights were on, and especially at night, this whole room was dark. Did you ever ask the question, where did the dark go? Where did it go? It was here before what? The lights went on. And what does light always do? It dispels darkness. It's not the other way around. You're not going to bring darkness into the room and put these lights out. The lights put the darkness out. Just like heat dispels cold. Light dispels darkness. That's the good news, folks. The good news is we live in a dark world, but it doesn't matter if we have God and His Word. Light dispels darkness. Darkness. Keep your hand here and go to, go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. We okay with learning some Bible? I know conventional wisdom in doing church these days is dumbing everything down, and especially your Sunday morning crowd. Oh, they, they don't want no Bible. You know, they just want to feel good and, and go home and, you know, no, no, no. I, I, I believe God's people want to know God's Word because that's how we're going to get the victory, folks, That's how we're going to win the battle. Verse 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Can I say something to you that are just recently saved? Can I say something to you that have struggled with vice and you're just starting to get the victory? And and if you're like I was, you're scared. And what are you scared of? You're scared of yourself. Because you know yourself, and you know how many times you failed. Can I say to you this morning, get your eyes off of you, and get your eyes on him? Verse 12, get your eyes on the one that is the light of the world. Follow him, and if you follow him, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have the light of life, because darkness can't abide where there is light. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And by the way, God dispels Satan. God dispels Satan. Now, I'm going to use this as a stopping point because we have to stop, and we'll pick this up again next week. But just just so you got something to take with you today and and use it as a practical matter, look at verse 9 again. And we'll close with this. Look at verse 9 again. If we confess our sins, all right, look, if you've sinned against the Lord, don't kid yourself. Okay? Cover the if part. Do it. Okay? This doesn't apply to you if you don't confess your sins, by the way. If you decide it's cool to sin and you have liberty to sin, you're just going to walk around getting dirtier and dirtier and dirtier. And this modern... Contemporary emergent Christianity just smells more and more and more. I have a wonderful wife, and one of the wonderful things about her, among many other wonderful things she does, is she washes my smelly, stinky clothes. (laughs) I like to play hockey, I like to play goalie. I wear clothes underneath the gear, long on the arms, long in legs, and when I'm done, they are just soaked and stinky, okay? With a wonderful wife and a wonderful washing machine and a wonderful dryer, I would be a fool to just hang them out to dry and then put them on again that way. Or worse yet, just leave them in a pile inside of my hockey bag to breed new forms of penicillin (laughs) Until next time, what should I do? Here, honey. (laughs) Throw it in the wash. Clean it up. If we confess our sins, if you sin, confess it. Agree with God. Don't argue with God. Oh, that's not a sin. I saw brother so-and-so do it. It's a sin for him too. Don't kid yourself. Take care of it. Don't deceive yourself. If we confess our sins. He, get your eyes off of you, get your eyes on Him, is faithful and just. Just, there's a basis He forgives you. There's a basis, there's a reason He can forgive you for more than 70 times seven. It's because of what Christ did for you on the cross. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, what's that little three-letter word? All unrighteousness. Oh, I just feel rotten because I did it again. And by the way, you keep feeling like that, eventually you just go, well, I might as well just sin again. At least it's a little bit fun. And I'm a dirty, rotten, no good, uh, lowered in a snake's belly sinner. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you're not that. You're a Christian. That's what you were. Okay? Now, you might be an ungrateful child of God. You might be a child of God that's, you know, got out of the way and got yourself dirty. But... Just go to God, confess it, get your eyes on Him, and realize that he, he cleanses you of all your sins and also all of the unrighteousness. Don't go walking around doing Baptist penance. Okay, God, I'll do this, that, and that to make up for it. No, Jesus already made up for it. Now, do this, that, and another because you're grateful Lord, I think I'll pray more. I'll read my Bible more. I'll love my wife more. I'll, love, I'll tell others about Jesus more because I'm just so happy that you forgave me. <laughs> That's good. But don't do it to atone for the sin because Christ already atoned for the sin. He already took care of it. You can't add to that. You know what? That's almost, I believe that could be as insulting to God as a lost man saying, never mind, I'm not going to take Christ. I'm a religious guy, I can handle it myself. You know what we do walking around doing Baptist penance after we've already confessed our sins? We're telling God essentially the same thing. Hey, have you forgiven yourself? God has. God has. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I I don't fully comprehend honestly You know my heart. I don't fully comprehend all these concepts. Father, they're concepts I still wrestle with. And Lord, I just pray that all of us, in some measure, would have received something from your word this morning that would trigger something good and encouraging to us that might help us in our walk with you. Lord, if there are some that are struggling, especially new believers, Lord, new believers, Lord, that are struggling with old vices, so much is so much better but there's there's still those times there's still those times when those old sins rear up their ugly heads lord help them help them to get their eyes on christ help them to realize lord they're a new creature in christ they have a new identity and they have victory over these things that they are more than a conqueror through the lord jesus christ father help us help us this morning To walk in victory, to walk in peace, and to win the great battle for the conscience through the Word of God, through our our advocate, our wonderful Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and to defeat the purposes of Satan and his emissaries, that we might walk bearing the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. And temperance, Lord, may that be the characterization of your people in this room this morning and looking in. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 253. Number 253, turn your eyes upon Jesus.
1: Oh, soul, are you weary and troubled?
0: Ryan Willis where are you brother Willis would you come on up here and close us in a word of prayer please Uh, brother Willis pastors in the Fresno uh, California area and he's been around here lately taking some time as a family and uh, good to have him with us and we'll have him close us in a word of prayer let's pray father we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here this morning Thank you for the truth and the reminder that we've received from your word. And I pray that as we go from this place, that we would live that. That it would be close to our hearts, that we would remind ourselves of it. God, thank you for the promise that we are more than conquerors because of Christ. Thank you for our advocate, Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. Thank you for such great salvation. We praise you. I pray that we would draw closer to you. Bless us as we go from this place. Keep us safe. Bring us back here safely once more tonight to hear once more from your word. We love you. Help each of us to love you more. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.